So what is your problem? Everybody seems to have problems. I mean, this is usually when you go talk to the pastor, when you have a problem, right? And all kinds of, of problems, uh, addiction, depression, anxiety, uh, relationship struggles with, with parents and spouses and coworkers and, and friends or fear about the future, hurt, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness. And it's an honor for me to walk beside people in their problems. And when I'm doing it, I'm also thinking in the back of my head, I have problems too. <laughs> I, I have the, the, the person with the problems is trying to help other people with problems. We have problems. Human beings have serious problems. We need serious solutions to those problems. And if I don't believe that I have a problem or I don't believe the seriousness of the problem, I'm not going to be able to fix the problem. If I think I have a headache because of stress, but really I have a brain tumor, no amount of exercise and rest is going to fix the problem. I need to understand the seriousness of the problem in order to appropriate the right cure. Paul spends a good deal of time in Romans, first two and a half chapters, convincing us of the seriousness of our problem. He is going to give us the root of the problem, and then we'll understand the necessity of the remedy. And this is really the first few chapters of, of, of Romans, is the root and the remedy. And we talked about this the last couple of weeks, that the root being, uh, the, or the problem being sin, and at the root of that problem is false worship, worshiping another God. This is what is at the root of our problem. This was summed up well in Romans 1, verses 24-25. It said, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because... They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the, the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul sums it up that human beings are sinning, they're behaving in a way that uh, is, is not according to God's standards, and they're doing that because they're worshiping a false God, that every destructive, disgusting thing that we do at its root is that we've exchanged the glory of God for the glory of the creation, and we've bowed down and worshipped the creation. So how do we solve the root of that problem? If you've been a Christian any amount of time, you're like, Jesus! Okay, I know, I know, but let's back up and let's look at some of the false remedies, the wrong remedies that we pick up instead of Jesus, which is also what Paul is trying to show us here uh, in chap especially chapter 2 and half of 3. Uh, this idea of, of picking up wrong remedies is well illustrated throughout medical history. If you want to go down a really deep hole, um, start Googling all the crazy medical remedies throughout human history. Um, and I had, I had to pull back on this because I had so many that I wanted to tell you about. But um, So snake oil, right? You've heard of the snake oil salesman. 
Um, evidently, Chinese immigrants brought some kind of a snake oil from a water snake that was, was actually had some kind of medicinal quality. Um, but then a, a guy by the name of Clark Stanley decided to take the idea of snake oil and make it into a franchise. And so he would travel around doing these uh, kind of these, these displays where he would take a snake out of a bag and cut it in half and extract something out of it and say, this is the elixir that's going to cure all your ails and keep you healthy and keep you young. And then people would line up to buy this, quote unquote, snake oil. It's a wrong remedy, right? Or the time when bare aspirin laced their aspirin with heroin. Yeah, this is true. Uh, they marketed it to children, and it was uh, for children suffering sore throats and coughs and colds. And then doctors started to get an inkling that maybe this was, wasn't a good remedy because people were becoming addicted to it. I mean, who knew, right? And then my favorite, or maybe my least favorite, is Walter Freeman's frontal lobotomy, okay? So uh, he had decided that if you drill a hole up in your eye, eye socket, up into your brain, and separate some parts of your brain, that you could cure people of depression and anxiety. And uh, he had one, quote-unquote, success. And after he had one success, he was like, we're going to put this on the market and uh, patients were often left in a vegetative state. They experienced relapses. They regressed physically and emotionally, and as many as 15% of them died from the procedure. It was a wrong remedy. It was actually a remedy that made the problem worse, right? And so this, this is what we do. We have this root, this root problem of, of sin and, and even deeper of false worship, and we reach for the wrong remedy. And so Paul in chapter 2 is speaking of a couple of false, wrong remedies. And Tommy talked about the, the first one last week from Romans 2, 1 through 12, and that wrong remedy was moralism. Moralism. The moralist has a sense of right and wrong. They believe they can deal with, with, with sin uh, by following their sense of right and wrong, and condemning others who don't follow their sense of right and wrong. Tommy gave the illustration of you going down the highway, and someone passes you going 100 miles an hour, they get stopped by a police officer, and you're like, good for them, I can't believe that they're going 100 miles an hour on the, the highway, yet you're going 10 miles over, right? But your sense of what's right Right? You, you, your sense is that 10 miles over is okay, right? And so you, you justify yourself. Um, th this is faulty, it's a faulty remedy, right? To deal with sin in, in this way of, of, of moralism. Um, Paul says it this way, Romans 2.1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another... You condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So he says to the judgmental moralist, based on your personal sense of right and wrong, you're actually giving proof that there's an ultimate judge who is the perfect judge that you are under the condemnation of. Moralism is snake oil. It is a snake oil remedy. Now, I think Paul expects that the, 
the, the pushback would be from a Jewish reader who says, yeah, 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 no, no, you're right, Paul. That, if, you, if you're just judging yourself and others based on your own sense of right and wrong, that is, that is a snake oil remedy. But what if your standard is God's law? What if, what if it's from the Bible? What about that? What, what, what if I am basing my behavior on that and I'm condemning others based on God's law? And this is what this week's text deals with. Uh, the Jewish person who has the law of God, they have God's Word. And describes it this way, Romans 2 verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So explaining God's courtroom, and he's describing how judgment works in God's courtroom. And what he says is, you are judged based on what you know about God and His ways. So the more that you know about God and His ways, the higher the standard of judgment for you in God's courtroom. So if you just know what you can tell from creation, then that's what you're judged based upon. So like back in Romans 1.20, he says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So he's describing someone who only has the created order as a revelation of who God is and his ways, and he says, you have no excuse. Like, you, you have been judged and found wanting based on what you know, right? But then he also, what we just talked about, the, the, the basis of judgment based on not just the creation revelation, but also your conscience, your sense of right and wrong. That's when what I just read, Romans 2.1, therefore you have no excuse, right? Same verbiage. O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So he's saying the same thing. He's saying, okay, so you who have the creation, but then you have an active conscience of what's right and what's wrong. You can't follow your own conscience. The very standard that you've come up with, you can't follow it. And so you find yourself under condemnation in the courtroom of God. But if you're a Jewish person and you have the law of God, now that is your standard in the courtroom of God. And not only if you heard the law, but if you did the law. He says to the, the Jewish person, when you sinned, you sinned, quote, under the law. That's what he's talking about. Your judgment is based on the law, and you will be judged, quote, by the law. It's sort of like being tried as a juvenile versus an adult. They're both culpable, but they're responsible, they're culpable in, in different ways. The adult is culpable in a, in a high, at a higher standard than the juvenile. Right? Something similar going on here is what he's describing. He's saying the, the, the Jew is, is culpable at a higher standard than the Gentile, the non-Jew, because of what they know about God and His ways. They have the law. 
They know the law. They know who God is. They know what God's ways are. This is an explanation of what Paul meant when he said what he said back in Romans 2, 9 and 10. He says, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Now, when you first read that description, you think it sounds like partiality. It sounds like he's doing something different with the Jew and the Greek, but, but, but he is. But the reason it's not partial is because he's doing it based on what they know. He's giving a fair judgment based on their experience of the revelation of God, whether it's creation, conscience, or even the, the law of God. Commentator uh, Jeffrey B. Wilson says it this way, great privilege always brings greater responsibility, and if neglected, greater liability to punishment. So you have a greater revelation of God, that is a greater privilege, but it's also a greater responsibility, and there's greater liability to punishment if you reject that law. So why does all this matter? I mean, who cares? Um, Well, the bottom line is human beings need to get, quote, justified before a holy God. They need to be able to walk into that that, that, that courtroom of God and walk out having been justified, having somehow have the judge declare them innocent <laughs> and justified. Uh, he, again, in verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. It's the first time in the book Paul used the word justified, and it's a legal term. And the way you get justified in a, in a court is your behavior is compared to the law, and the judge decides whether or not you've broken the law or not. And if you haven't broken the law, he says, you're justified. You can go free. But if you have broke the law, you're not justified, and you can't go free. And so this is, this is what all of, all of this discussion of creation, conscience, and the law is is, is driving toward is how does a human being get justified in the courtroom of God? And this is troubling, right? I mean, you should be troubled as you hear this. It's troubling especially to those who have God's Word, right? Those who know the law, because now they have a higher standard by which they're being judged by. Um, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that uh, Paul knew that the Jewish reader would be pushing back really hard on this. I, I think he knew they would be saying, you know, you, you can't be seriously comparing me to these Gentiles. I mean, they're oversexed and uh, they're, they're idol worshipers. They have no idea about Sabbath keeping or kosher food laws. I mean, you cannot be comparing me to these Gentiles. And Paul pushes back on, 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 on that with... Uh, some conversation about how he thinks some Gentiles are going to fare better in the judgment than Jews. He starts in verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, 
and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So he argues, he says, there's going to be some Gentiles that will fare better than Jews in the courtroom of God. They don't even have the law, but they have a sense of right and wrong, and they're following that sense of right and wrong better than you are. Now, does that mean the Gentiles are somehow going to measure up based on some kind of law? No, it doesn't. But it just means that they're faring better than some Jews who have the law. And so the, the, the Gentile, instead of using their inner sense of right and wrong to puff themselves up and push others down, they're instead allowing it to humbly guide them in their lives. And he's saying that would fare better in God's courtroom. Now, this kind of thing happens today. I don't know how many people I've met who have been hurt by Christians. Christians who have the Bible. Christians who know God and God's ways. Right? And these professing Christians have, have done horrible things to people. And these people will say to me things like, non-Christians are nicer They're more generous than Christians. Dare say, more fun than Christians. That these professing Christians can, quote, love thy neighbor as yourself, but they don't love their neighbors as their self. Instead, they use what they know about the Bible to puff themselves up and push others down instead of being humbly transformed by the truth of God. Merely knowing God's law. Merely knowing God's Word is not the remedy for the problem. It is not the remedy. In fact, it can be twisted into part of the problem. I think this is what makes it so confusing sometimes about religious people and how they behave, is that they're actually taking something that's good, right? God's law, God's Word, and they're twisting it into something that is part of the problem. Paul describes this very thing. Verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you, are, you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in law the embodiment and the knowledge of the truth, and then you teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so he describes a religious person who is relying on their mere possession of God's Word, His law, as a means of saving them, right? They know God's law. They approve of God's law. They receive instruction about God's law. They listen to podcasts about God's law. They come and hear sermons about God's law. They they are a light. They are a guide. They are a teacher of others about God's law, but they can't obey it. They cannot obey it. And he says, just knowing it and listening to podcasts about it and sermons about it and approving it and even teaching it to other people, that does not save you. That does not save you. And if that's what you bring into the courtroom of God, you will not be justified. You will not be justified. 
It, it, it reminded me of all the government leaders who've been breaking their own COVID rules. You know, this is a favorite news story right, right now. The city of Austin mayor gave a rallying cry to the city. Don't, don't travel. D- don't, don't go anywhere. Stay home. You know, and they, the, the mayor did it from the beach in Mexico. <laughs> oh, man. The Denver mayor made a, a big announcement before Thanksgiving. Don't go anywhere. Don't travel. Don't have anyone over. Just, just stay home and have remote Thanksgivings. And then they immediately got on a plane and flew somewhere to have Thanksgiving with their family. Or the governor of California, who's like, no in, in-person dining. You cannot have in-person dining. And then was caught having in-person dining in an upscale restaurant with lobbyists, some of which were healthcare lobbyists. Right? It's like, you can make the rules, you can teach the rules, you can approve of the rules, you can know the rules, but you can't do them. You can't do them. And Paul is saying to the religious person who has the rules, you take that into the courtroom of God, it will not justify you. Just because you know this stuff, just because you approve of this stuff, you might even be the pastor preaching this stuff. That does not justify you. So at this point, I think a a Jewish reader would be hopping mad, hopping mad, and ready to push back again. And say, oh, okay, 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 you're right. I don't follow the rules perfect. But those rules and my possession of those rules are actually a sign that I'm part of the covenant people of God. And that's what saves me. And, and that I have some marks of the covenant people of God in my life. Now, one of those would be Sabbath keeping, another would be kosher food. But the big one is circumcision that all the males in in the Jewish religion are circumcised, and that is a mark that says, I'm part of the people of God. And so, not only do they have rules, but they have rituals. Rules and rituals, which is really what religion is, right? Rules and rituals. We got it. Got it covered. And Paul Paul knows this, right? So so Paul, he pushes back on on that... um, idea as well. Verse 25, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have, written, who have the written code and, but, and circumcision, but you break the law. So see what he's doing there. He's like, you know, if you have circumcision but you don't follow the law, you might as well not even be circumcised. doesn't matter. And if you're uncircumcised and you keep the law perfectly, you might as well be circumcised. Like it, it, you're in. You would stand in the courtroom of God and you would be justified even though you're not circumcised. And Paul is saying your rules and your ritual does not save you. Your rules and your ritual do not save you. Jews would point to their possession of the law and the practice of the signs of the covenant as as the remedy for the root. And Paul is saying that is not the remedy for the root. Your rules and your ritual do not provide the proper remedy for the root. And 
This passage should speak to those of us who are rule followers and ritual keepers. We don't, we don't have to just be Jewish people that have rules and rituals, religious people who have rules and rituals. If I'm a rules person and I'm like, I've never done anything that bad. I mean, I, I try to tell tr- the, the truth. I'm trying to be nice to people. I vote. I give to the American way. I mean, doesn't that count in the courtroom of God? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It will not justify you. Your rule keeping and comparing yourself to other people and saying, well, I'm better than that person, that will not stand up in the courtroom of God. Or maybe you're a ritual person, a religious person, right? I've always attended worship services. I know a lot about the Bible. I mean, I pray every day. I serve at church. I mean, I give a few of my hard-earned bucks to the offering plate. I mean, doesn't that count for something? No. It doesn't. You take that into the courtroom of God, and you say, God, I'm going to put my rituals down here before you. Will this justify me? No. These are snake oil remedies. And the worst is when you got both. You got rule following, you got ritual keeping. You're like, surely two for one. I mean, come on, I got both. I'm pretty nice to people. I give a few bucks to the offering plate. I read my Bible. I pray. I, 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 I mean, I'm, I, I'm doing it all. God, won't that be enough to justify me when I go into the courtroom of God? No. No. It won't. It is snake oil. It is snake oil. You're taking rules and rituals, yes, that could have come from God Himself, and you're twisting those into part of the problem if you're seeking to justify yourself before God with those things. Now, this is not just for people participating in organized religion. There's a lot of religion all around us. Um, Environmentalism. Feels a lot like a religion. I remember going to the common. This was early when we were starting the church, and it was Earth Day. And I go down there, and so you have the rules and you have the religion, you have the ritual. And the rules are, you know, recycle, reuse, uh, reduce. You know, let's, let's get some electric cars going. There's, like, there's all these things that are really good and, and helpful for the environment. But there was also this massive drum that was in the middle of the common, and people were going by and they were like beating the drum. And I'm like, What's going on here? Like, what are you guys doing? They're like, well, we're, we're getting in sync with the, the, the rhythms of Mother Earth. And that was at the very center of Earth Day celebrations. You had rules, you had ritual. It's religion. It was religion. Politics feels like this. You have certain rules, you have certain uh, stances you need to take on certain policies that are attached to your political group. But there's also ritual to it. There's rallies that you attend. There, there's the veneration of your, your, your uh, candidates. There's songs you sing. I mean, I mean it, it is religious for many people. Right? The following of Instagram influencers. I mean, we talk about, around here about our vision being gospel family mission. I mean, those influencers could say the same thing. We got a gospel we're preaching, whatever. It's paleo. Let's eat paleo. 
let's do core strength that tightens up our blank, right? Like, and, and not only that, but they're, they're building a community around that paleo eating or core strength or whatever it is. And they're saying, evangelize to the world about paleo eating and core strength. Guys, it's religion. And a lot of the gospel that's preached there are things like, you are enough, you know? Instead of, you're a sinner and you need grace from Jesus. Like, it's a gospel and it's a false gospel. So we don't have to be, be into some kind of organized religion to be doing rules and ritual in a way that's a wrong remedy. We, we can be doing some other things as well. That is the use of rules and ritual to justify ourselves. Because when we are doing these things, we're walking away from that environmental event or that political event or that thing I just did because my Instagram influencer told me I should do it. And I'm feeling justified. I'm feeling like I'm okay now because I participated in this. Guys, that's, that's some serious stuff. That is not going to be able to, t- to take you into the courtroom of God and justify you. So say, well, if the rules and the ritual can't justify me, what can? What can justify me? And Paul hints in this passage. I mean, there's a ton of places we could go in Romans, and we will in the future. Um, but he hints at it in verse 28, 29. He says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor a circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. He's letting them know, you don't need an outward outward circumcision, you need an inward circumcision. Rules and ritual are not going to accomplish this. Only God can accomplish this. Now, circumcision is a, a cutting away of a piece of skin, but it exemplifies the cutting away of sin. And he's saying that, that needs to happen inwardly. That needs to be a, a, a supernatural event that occurs in the human heart brought about by God Himself. This is what will justify you, this inward work of God, not obeying lists and fulfilling rituals, neither Bible reading or church attendance or being nice. These things will not justify you, but God's work in the human heart, that's what will justify you. He'll speak much more of this later in in Romans. I'll I'll give you one, one little snippet here that we'll dive a lot deeper in later, but Romans 4 verses 11 and 12, talking about Abraham, and he says, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to him, to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he says, Abraham was made righteous by grace through faith before he was circumcised. This is his argument to the Jewish reader, that circumcision doesn't save you. 
The law doesn't save you. Abraham doesn't even have the law yet, but he's saved. He is righteous. He's able to walk into the courtroom of God and say, I am righteous. And how is that? It is by grace. It is a gift. And that gift is afforded to us through what Christ did for us at the cross. Because Christ did fulfill the law perfectly. He did fulfill the ritual perfectly, inside and out. And because of that, He was able to die in our place. He was able to take on the punishment we deserve because we are lawbreakers. We are ritual breakers. We are unrighteous and are unable to stand up in God's courtroom and be justified without His gracious salvation. Again, this, this judgment is going to be comprehensive. If you're thinking to yourself, oh, I mean, I know he's saying I don't measure up, but I'm pretty good at following the rules, and I go to church, and I, yeah, I, I think I'm actually justified. I don't need the whole Jesus thing. Listen again to how he describes the judgment in Romans 2.16. On that day, okay, so day of judgment, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. You talk about a comprehensive judgment, the secrets of your mind and heart are under scrutiny in that judgment. If you think you can stand up under that on on your own merit, good luck. You try that out. It's it's not going to work. You need to be made righteous inside and out by grace through faith. This is the only way that you'll ever stand up under the judgment of God. Notice that he says, this is according to my gospel. He's talking about judgment, and he's talking about gospel. Part of the gospel message is the bad news. It is. And he's saying that judgment, that the message of judgment is part of the good news. It's part of the gospel. And so we, we, we have to understand and believe that first before we understand how good this news really is of saving us from our unrighteousness. Now, how to respond to this? A lot, a lot of different ways, I think, to respond to this. So, so one is, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, all this time I've been relying on rules and ritual, whatever that version that, that you've been relying on, uh, for, for my justification. And I want to say to you this morning, run to Jesus for your justification. Those rules and that, that ritual, they're never going to justify you. In fact, you relying on those things is sin. (laughs) And so turn away from that. Turn to Christ for His gracious forgiveness, His gracious gift of righteousness given to you at the cross that gives you the ability to stand in the courtroom of God and for God to say, you're justified. (laughs) You're justified by grace. And so if if you're there this morning to, to respond by going to God in prayer, receiving that gracious justification for the first time this morning. If you're not ready to do that yet, you're like, I'm interested, I want to explore that, I would encourage you to to go to our website, mercyhouse365.org slash respond, and you can explore that more. Uh, Also, if you want to just talk about it, if you want to talk about it with me or others in the room, I I mean, I would encourage you to to reach out and to, to begin that conversation to talk with folks. What if I'm already a Christian? What, what, what if, what if I, I know this stuff, I'm hearing it, and yeah, 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 I believe that, absolutely, I'm justified by grace. What does this passage have 
uh, for us? Well, I, I think one of the things is that our default is going to be going back to relying on rules and ritual for our justification. We, we just get sucked back into that way of, of, of thinking and living. Um, how do I know that? I, there's, I think there's some red flags that you can look for in your life to know that you're falling back on relying on rules and ritual. So I know I'm falling back into it when I'm living under condemnation. When I'm feeling like maybe God loved me last week because I followed the rules really well and I, and I followed the ritual really well, but God doesn't love me this week. Or maybe I was going to heaven last week because I was following the rules really well, but I'm going to hell this week, right? That kind of thinking. Like, like you're going back to relying on rules and ritual for your justification. And, you know, don't flatter yourself. You could never do enough rules and rituals to save yourself or keep yourself saved. I mean, the price that needed to be paid for your salvation is the death of the divine Son of God. Do you think you could do something with rules and rituals that could somehow earn your justification? I mean, that, that's crazy. But we do it, don't we? We do it. We find ourselves moving back to that old default of relying on rules and ritual. Repent from that. Move away from that. Come back to the grace of the gospel. Another way I know I'm falling back into believing that, that rules and, and uh, ritual are somehow justifying us, um, is, is when I'm justifying my sin. I'm saying, yeah, I know I shouldn't do this, but I do a lot of other good things. <laughs> I've got a whole list of other good things I do, and I go to church, I read my Bible and pray, so because of this big long list of things that I do, it's okay for me to compromise on this other thing. That is madness. That is madness. And what you're doing is you're, you're, you're defaulting to a reliance on rules and ritual for your justification. Don't flatter yourself. You, you could never do enough to outweigh the penalty of one sin. That penalty was the death of the divine Son of God. So if you kind of play in that justification game where you're like, yeah, yeah, I know I shouldn't do this, but... I'm doing a whole bunch of other great things. Repent from that. Leave that behind. Move toward your reliance on the grace of the gospel. I, I know I'm falling back into that kind of justification based on rules and ritual when I'm angry with God for disappointment. It's probably what, what, why we get angry with God Usually, for me, I'm saying, but God, look at all this stuff I'm doing. Look at all this. Look, look at all these rules I'm following. Look at all this ritual that I'm following. I go to church every week. Like, how could you let this happen? That is madness. <laughs> that is madness. You can never do enough rules and rituals to, to earn any goodness from God. That goodness has been bought and paid for by the death of the divine Son of God. And then the last one, I know I'm falling back into believing my justification comes from rules and rituals. When I get angry with God because others who are not following the rules and rituals are having a better life than me. That's my favorite. Like, what, what, wait, wait, wait a minute. That person's getting a job. That person's getting a spouse. That person's getting a house. Whoa, what is that? That person's not struggling with depression. They don't go to church. They don't follow the rules like I do. God, this is not fair. That is madness. 
That is madness. There's no amount of rules and rituals that you could ever do to earn some kind of good life. The good that we have has been purchased by the death of the divine Son of God. It is an infinite cost that's been paid for us. And so turn away from that. Repent from that. Move toward Christ in the grace that He's given you. Rely on that for your justification, both in a once-for-all way, but also in a daily way. We daily need to be reminded of how we're justified and to live in that justification. Third thing, and last thing, kind of think about application, is do practice the rules and the ritual for the right reasons. Rules and ritual aren't bad unless you do them for the wrong reasons. You do them for the right reasons, they're actually very life-giving. It's one of my favorite quotes from Dallas Willard, who's a writer. He's, he's, he's gone to be the Lord now, but written several books. But he says this, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. So grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And that's really what the Apostle Paul's getting at, using rules and ritual to earn your salvation. That's not okay. But participating in rules and, and, and ritual for the purpose of growing in grace, that's awesome. And that's what we want to be about here at Mercy House. We do want to exhort you to obey God's Word. We do want to exhort you to participate in rituals like baptism, if you've not yet been baptized, and taking communion every week. These are rituals, but they need to be done for the right reasons. These rituals don't save you, but they are to be participated in if you're saved. Church membership is like this, worshiping with your local church on a regular basis, loving well your brothers and sisters in Christ, forgiving others, being generous, telling other people about Jesus. All these things are things in God's Word that we should do, but we ought not to do them to justify ourselves. We do them because we are justified by God's grace through faith. And so with that in mind, let's rest and rely on that justification that we have by by grace through faith this morning, and but also to engage with God's Word and with the things that He has called us to do, fueled by that gracious justification. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this passage. God, I pray that you would take it and just do a a surgery on our hearts. Lord, we, as many of us, we're we're, we're religious people. We we are church people. We, We attend these services. We read our Bibles. We pray. We do a lot of religious stuff, and I pray, Lord, that it would not be something we are seeking to justify ourselves, but that it would come out of a heart that has been transformed by gospel grace. And so help us, Lord, help us to rely on the grace of the gospel for our justification such that we are fueled to participate in obeying you and participating in even this communion that we're about to participate in. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.